Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 72. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Our guest today is Amy Miller, a poet we've published many times over the years, one of our favorite poets dating back to 2001. She's been in uh, six issues of Rattle and Poets Respond a bunch of times, one of the poets we've published the most. I think I counted a dozen poems uh, by Amy Miller that we've published over the years. And that might even be off. It might be like 13 or 14. Uh, but before we get to Amy, um, let me say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry. And if you love poetry like we do, please be sure to click the like button. Make sure you're subscribed. You follow us on Facebook. That's really important. Actually, on Facebook now, turn on notifications because they're really stifling our reach on Facebook for every page. They're trying to make more money. And uh, it helps if you follow and you turn notifications on so that you always see uh, what we post. I try not to post too much. Uh, but wherever you listen to this, uh, if it's after the fact, give us a rating on iTunes, whatever. You know the drill. Just click on something to make sure that uh, the uh, computers know that you like this stuff. Uh, for the warm-up poem today, I thought we would do... I just clicked the random button until I found one I was kind of in the mood for. And this poem is by Tom Myers. And I'm going to... Let's show it over here. This is uh, We Are the Weather Tourists by Tom Myers. And I don't know anything about Tom. Um, I, I tried to Google him a little bit, and all I found was he's a retired elementary school teacher um, and has published some poems. Um, I love this bio. Though. Let me read his bio first. This is from the summer 2010 issue, rattle number 33. His bio was really fun. I wrote this poem while staying in a cabin in North Dakota. There was a coat and a wood stove, a tree outside, and no one for miles. It was January. Between writing each line, I was jumping around and doing some kind of dance, partly to stay alive, but mostly because that's how I get when I'm writing poems. So uh, that is Tom Meyer's note from this poem. And uh, here's the poem. This is We Are the Weather Tourists by Tom Myers. We keep old cars in the yard without wheels or windows, like empty turtle shells in a row. We fill an old rowboat with grain every morning around 11 and let the crows have at it. We say we're good with plants, but we're not. And in the fields, we stop and wonder about what we might have in common with the wolves we hear at night or with the men we've met who hunt them. We even wonder what we have in common with each other and why we ever moved out here. We don't know our neighbors, and when we run out of sugar, we take our tr the truck into town. Sometimes we lose our donkey, then find him again, grazing by the barn, useless as ever. We give ourselves these false names time to time, like the wild farmers, the hillbilly artists. Now we go by the weather tourists. Every day we sit in a field and with bits of chalk draw clouds on bits of cardboard. Every night we stay inside the house, writing notes on the backs of tiny mirrors, then telling the story of the black-nosed Buddha, a story about a nun and her gold statue, about smoke and selfish, selfishness. A story we all know, a story we all tell, a story about wanting, but not bad enough. That was The Weather Tourists by Tom Myers from Rattle number 33. Now, as I mentioned, today's guest is Amy Miller. And I'm going to read the bio in uh, the back of her book, because there's a little bit more detail than what I posted on um, uh, Amy Miller grew up in Northern California and Western Massachusetts. She worked as a ranch hand, photographer's assistant, health food store bookkeeper, and electronic assembler before finding a home publishing uh, with Guitar Player Magazine. 
where she worked for 14 years. Since then, she has had a long career as an editor and print production manager at several magazines, book publishers, and the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And her poetry's appeared in a whole bunch of places, including Rattle, of course, and Nimrod, and Tinderbox, and Willow Springs, a whole bunch of places I really like to read. Um, and she's also the author of chapbooks, I Am on a River and Cannot Answer, and Rough House, which are both available for free online, which we'll talk about a little bit. But you can find the link to each of those in the show notes. Uh, she lives in Ashland, Oregon. And here she is, Amy Miller. Hey, Amy, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, yeah, th- Tim. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for Glad being our be guest. Um, you're one of the poets, like I said, we've, we've known and had sort of a relationship um, publishing your poems for so long, for um, you know, 20 years almost. Um, do you remember, I think you even said mm-hmm. that the first time we published a poem of yours, you got a phone call from, uh, the past editor, Stella Sue Lee. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's so, right. um, you know, I don't call anybody on the phone, so nobody should sit around. Actually, if, if I call people on the phone, I do for the Rattle Poetry Prize and nobody answers anymore. Like the, the days of people answering the phone of course. are long gone. So then it's sort of a, um, less fun, I guess, than, um, hearing somebody be excited, leaving a message and saying, hey, you won the $15,000 poetry prize. Congratulations. And then having them call me back like two minutes later. It's kind of how it goes now. But um, anyway, so do you want to start us out with a poem? You have, um, I think you wanted to start with these poetry boxes, which is a really interesting concept. Yeah. Um, I often read these uh, at the beginning of readings, um, if people haven't seen them before, because they're kind of like little icebreakers. So I have these, uh, I'll hold it up to the camera here. There are these, there are these origami cubes. So these are six-sided boxes. Um, I invented this, uh, this form about 20 years ago. I've made probably a couple hundred of them over the years. Um, and I uh, pre-print the, the poem onto the box, and then I fold it so that the poem basically a- appears in 3D. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of these. Uh, this first one is called... What goes on inside a box? A quiet closet life. A universe inverted. The hollow sound of space. The dark debating whether God is in there. And if so, what could be outside? That's box number one. And I'll read this one next. This one's, I have them in all different colors and different types of paper. This one's purple. Uh, And it's called The Ant Crawls Around the Box. Maybe he's done with geometry. Maybe for him, three dimensions are so a million years ago. Maybe food is the Almighty. Or he is the Almighty, testing our kindness. I was trying to keep up with that, uh, showing people on the screen, because I have that that box. Um, These are so cool, though. Um, How... I mean, where did the idea come from to make these? Um, I was uh, I was unemployed about 20 years ago. This was right after 9-11. Um, I was out of work for a few months and, and really no possibility of finding a job for a while. And I knew that there were in the Bay Area, there were like tens of thousands of people out of work at that time. Really hard time to be out of work. Um, so I had a lot of time on my hands. And, uh, you know, it was it was a wonderful gift in a strange way, even though I was really frightened about money and everything, but I could wake up in the morning with an idea about something, you know, some project, and I could just get up and do it. And I could do it for days until I had really gone down that that alley, whether it was art or writing or whatever I wanted to work on. 
um, it really was a blessing in a way. And so I woke up one morning, I think I had had a dream about um, corporate stationery that could be folded into something that represented the corporation. So for instance, Boeing stationery that you could fold up into a paper airplane that would have the Boeing logo on the side of it, something like that. And I, was, I wasn't exactly thinking, oh, I can make a million bucks you know, doing this. But uh, it was just, you know, I just had this, this vision in my head about words printed on paper and you fold them and it, and it becomes something different when you fold it. Um, and I tried lots of different origami forms. I bought lots of uh, origami books and looked online and I made the, the little salt shaker fortune teller things that kids do in the schoolyard. Um, I had a top. I had some pinwheel type things. And then I found this this box design, which is it's actually it's an 18th century Japanese uh, gift box design. Um, normally, you would give something somebody a little object in it, and and once I found that box form, um, it, that really clicked because the poems uh, just started pouring out these ideas of boxes and confinement, inside outside, metaphysics, um, religion. Um, all of these ideas so that it begat a lot of poems and that became sort of my, my major uh, paper arts uh, it's format. It really fits with um, your style, which is uh, you write short poems pr predominantly. They're um, sort of very concise is sort of how I would characterize your style. So they fit, you know, fitting around this cube like that works really well. Um, is there a reason, like, like, why do you think you're drawn to shorter poems? That's one of the things I was thinking about, because I just love, and, and no. I always wonder if it's, um, because, you know, being an editor and reading a billion submissions a day, I, like, I appreciate short poems maybe too much, but when they work and they're short, they're just so, like, they just hit so well or something. I don't know. There's something about the short, the short yeah. poems, like, like, Mike White is probably the most condensed poet that I know. And you're probably like, up, you're really up there with the, with the condension and getting as much in as few words as possible. Um, so is there a reason for that, that, that philosophy or, or what? I certainly think it's, it's harder to write short than it is to write long. I think that about prose. I think it about poetry, too, especially about prose, actually. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think my, my revision process is usually one of reduction, a one of subtraction, where I'm always trying to cut out as much connective tissue as I can while still leaving enough so that the reader gets a gist of it, even if they don't get exactly the whole story. Um, and I think I'm getting more reductive uh, as as I go, as I get older. I do sometimes write very long also, and sometimes I write prose poems. I'll have, may have one later tonight. I'm, I'm actually veering a little more toward expansiveness now. Um, the other, another really helpful um, and, and influential <laughs> thing that I've done that has influenced my writing a lot is that I do that August oh, Poetry course, Postcard yeah. Fest mm -hmm. quite a lot. Yeah, I figured this would come up tonight because you just had a, a whole issue devoted to it, which was wonderful. Um, I've been participating in that in, for about eight years or so. And so every day in August for 30 days, I write I, what has to be a really short poem. I can only get 12, maybe 14 poems lines onto a postcard at the most. So this is one where you write a, a, a poem every day onto a postcard and you send it to somebody else who is participating in the postcard fest. Um, and so that is a, a, a daily exercise in, in brevity and, and condensed uh, writing. And, uh, and I will say after 30 days of that, 
I feel like I need to stretch my arms out. Like I feel so confined after writing that short for that long, but it really is good discipline. Um, and I, I have a friend who showed me a trick a few years ago where you take one of those uh, label sheets of, mm-hmm. of name tags, like you would put on there, hello, I am or whatever. You can only get maybe eight lines or something if you're handwriting. And every day she would say, just wake up and grab one of those sheets and write a little eight line poem on a name tag. Um, and that was a, a great discipline, too. I still do that occasionally. I'll just make a little box, you know, on the page and fit the poem in there. It makes you it makes you do a, a really good practice in, in poetry, which is to to uh, tell a smaller part of the story without trying to tell the whole story. Um, I think poems generally are more effective when they're they're really bright. It's like a really intense watercolor uh, pigment that you're getting out of it where, where you are telling this, this much of the canvas and would, but the, the reader can extrapolate the rest of it from this little square that you're telling. Um, do you, do you, uh, write every day? Is that something like you have a regular practice? Or are you uh, committed to that or, or not? I, I am not a write every day kind of person. I have never been able to, um, to to discipline myself enough to do that i get really really mm-hmm. bored with routine i get very tired everything anything feels like drudgery to me if i have to do it every day um and i i really like to separate work from the rest of my life because i've had to work my whole life full time um and that always feels like full time work to me if i if i have to write every day so i i do these writing marathons where i'll write every day for 30 days i do one in april for national poetry writing month I do it in August uh, for the uh, August Poetry Postcard Fest. The rest of the year, it's it's a free-for-all, and mm-hmm. I'm very undisciplined. Um, and I tend to sort of write when the spirit moves me. I'd love to get in another 30-day marathon in there. Um, I tried to do it in this December because there was a, a group of people who were who were doing a 30-day marathon with some prompts. But I was on my own. Uh, there was no accountability. We weren't sharing our poems or anything like that. And I tell you, I did it for two days, and I just got so, I the the inner teenager in me just just cannot stand mm-hmm. the confinement of that, um, and I, I gave remember, up very uh, quickly. Uh, so, what's her name? The Bird by Bird Anne Lamott says, "I never start a project in December." So maybe that was why it, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was where I went wrong. It seemed like a very quiet yeah, December kind of, this year. If there's year. one December where it might have worked, that maybe this was it. Um, um, I should say, uh, before we move on to uh, more poems, that um, if anybody has any questions for Amy Miller, just leave them in the chat windows, and I'll pass them along on either YouTube or Facebook. If you're listening somewhere else besides YouTube and Facebook, um, find YouTube and Facebook and leave the chat message there, because I can't have too many windows open on my computer, although it's a lot. Um, so, Amy, do you want to dive into uh, a few more poems? Maybe, what do you want to read next? Um, from the book? Sure. I, okay. I think I will read from the book. Right. Um, yeah, this book is called The Trouble with New England Girls, um, came out a couple of years ago and, um, kind of, you want me to read a couple yeah, of them? I, I love the cover. Where did the cover come from? Oh, well, I yeah, I have it on screen for everybody cover. so they can see yeah. at home, uh, that the two yeah. wolves, but a very abstract kind of impressionistic painting of the two yes. wolves. I have, um, some wolf, um, poems in the book. Uh, kind of uh, antithetical to uh, New England, but uh, not entirely, not anymore, uh, from all reports. Apparently there are wolves there now, too. 
Um, and I and the the wolves kind of kind of weave through the book. And um, so I was I was asked to come up with some ideas for the cover, and I kept coming back to around to this idea of, of wolves. And I looked, man, I looked at a million paintings and photos of wolves online. And I'll tell you, a lot of them were very fluffy and very um, kind of faux Native American, kind of cartoony, you know, eagle feathers and moonlight and all that kind of stuff. And they were not the right kind of wolves. And then I, I started seeing paintings by this, this artist whose name is Lori Justice Pace. And she's in Texas. And um, she also does, she, she has a lot of paintings of horses, and I'm a horse person from way back. And that was what first caught my eye. And then I saw that she had a series, a whole bunch of, of paintings of wolves. And this actually is uh, just a slice taken out of a big panel that's, I think it's about four feet wide, and it has about six wolves all together. Um, and I just kept coming back around to this painting over and over again. And I finally contacted her and, and we made a deal with, with my publisher. And I was just thrilled, really thrilled to get this piece of artwork on there. That was a real fun journey. So um, I'm going to read the, the first poem in the book. Um, the, the book's themes are, I, it's, it's mostly about home. Um, and the wolves kind of fit into that, although they're not in this poem, but it's about um, uh, leaving home, losing your home, finding a home of sorts. Um, I've moved a lot in my life. My parents and I moved across country a couple of times, and I've always been kind of confused about where home is. That's always been kind of a sore subject. Um, so I'm going to read the, the first poem here. Um, and it's about the town where I used to live in, in Massachusetts. Westfield, Massachusetts. What would I do here? Paint ladies' nails in a gas-hot shop out back of the mill. Marry the man who owns the tool and die. Loan my stepson's money. Write letters in the kitchen long past the TV's last breath. Even the snow is gone to the sunken bottom marsh of Crane Pond, to the migrant water tips of icicles off Granville Gorge. This bristleback town, this slasher movie paradise, calls me to the ice's edge, covers me in sleet, tells me what it could do, set me down in a sleepy house with the front porch falling in, the dog dreaming on the rug. It says I'll have to find my own damn way to make a living, my own damn way home if I have one. And that was Westfield, Massachusetts, from uh, Amy Miller's book, The Trouble with New England Girls. Um, let me ask, before we read more poems, um, let me ask, how did you arrange, organize this book? It struck me reading it um, earlier today as um, a difficult book to organize. So there's, there's sort of um, several different themes moving through. There's, like the, there's the New England theme and the, and the, and the early home um, you know, and, and a lot of stuff about New England. And then there's stuff about the wolves and through Oregon and stuff, too. Um, how did you, like, why did you pick this as the title? And, um, and how did you think about like putting these books together? And also I noticed there's those, th that thread that runs through the middle, sort of like a river running through it or something, um, of that, those title, um, the untitled poems, it's sort of almost like echo the other poems. It's a really interesting structure. Um, how, how did you, you know, what were you thinking when you put it together in the way that it is? Yeah. 
Um, it, it was a long, long process. Um, I think that I probably kicked around versions, early versions of this manuscript uh, for about six or eight years, probably. So it, it changed and morphed and changed and morphed. I changed the title. Cha you know, you change the order of the same poems and you come out with a different theme. It, the order really, really uh, determines the theme in some ways. And so I really, really played with that a lot. Um, ultimately, I knew that I did have a lot of these, these Massachusetts poems, these New England poems. That's a really fertile ground for me um, because I, I grew up there. I, I spent my teenage years there. I sort of became a person in Massachusetts, formed my worldview there. Every time I go back, I write a jillion poems, like I'm just crammed with poems. I'm just writing them for weeks afterward. Um, so I, there was a lot of those to put in here. Um, but at the same time, I was, I was going through um, a grief process. My, so I'll, I'll say my, this is actually the 20th anniversary today of my, my mother's death. She died on the, the 22nd of December, uh, 2000. And um, so she had she had died a few years earlier. My dad had died by the time this book came out. Um, some other some cousins, a couple of cousins had died. Some friends, uh, a couple by suicide. Um, I had lost some animals in that time. I mean, it, grief was just like this well that I was going back to again and again. And so I ended up with that sequence in the middle of this book, which which is it's two sequences of poems uh, uh, braided together. And I was writing them separately, kind of at the same time, but I had these two separate threads going on. And it took me a while to realize that um, one, one thread was clearly about grief, and then the other thread was about the Rogue River and about rafting and about the wildlife of, of the Rogue Valley that I live in. And there was a lot of grief running through that sequence, too. And finally, it was like once I braided them together, they kind of spoke to each other in a way that I hadn't expected. And I really, I thought that they were more than the sum of their parts when they were combined together. And I had envisioned that as maybe a chat book or something for a while. And then it ended up being, being the middle of this book. And that was a nice fit for it, for the other poems around it. Um, and then the, the wolf poems are a, about also losing your home, losing your habitat in their case, and then being, and then finding it again. I mean, they're making their way from Yellowstone and Eastern Washington down into Oregon, into our valley, down into Northern California, and, and going back to their to their home again. Um, and so these poems were kind of calling to my own poems about home. Uh, and in terms of sequencing, if I were to sequence this book again tomorrow, it would be completely different. You know, I, I really had to just sort of commit. It's I, I'm a big believer in one poem speaking to another or one poem answering a question that was asked in the previous poem or something like that. Like I get to the end of one poem and it's like, what is it, what other poem is it in dialogue with in this, you know, this mass of poems that's on my floor that I'm dealing with right now. Um, and I just had to say, okay, you know, at some point you just have to say, this is how it's, how it's going to be. This is what's, what's working for me today. Um, you know, put it in the can, book it, <laughs> get it out there. Cause I, otherwise I would tinker with it endlessly. Um, so, you know, I've, I've uh, taken seminars on, on ordering, uh, poetry manuscripts. I went to the Coleraine conference, which is a four day conference just on poetry manuscripts. I'm working on your manuscript. That was very helpful. 
Um, but there are so many theories about how to do this and, um, you can, you know, you can get all kinds of different advice, but, and there is some very good advice about out there about it, but not everything works for everybody. Um, there's so much intuition to it and so much, uh, there's a lot of guessing. Um, and like I say, you know, I look back on this now and, uh, I'm not sure about all the choices already. It's only been a couple of years since I put it together. Um, I love it, however, and it was, you know, you have to look back and say, okay, that was, that was who I was and where I was then that day, that week, that month. Um, I have to trust myself that I did, did the right thing then. Um, I, I have another pile of poems that I'm getting ready to put into a, another manuscript now, and I'm kind of half dreading it. It's, you know, it's fun in a way, but it's a big, um, it's an ordeal at first. You know, I literally have the poems all spread out on a, my dining room table and I have like a little uh, card table and counters or whatever. And at first I'm just standing there going, oh my God, like, I don't know how to do this. How, you know, how's this going to happen? This is never going to happen. And I'll stand there for maybe an hour just grinding on it like that. And, and then, you know, you start to just pick things up and put things together and it's like, okay, you know, got to make the decision. Yeah, that's great advice for um, especially this time of year, because everybody is trying to put together their rattle chapbook prize submissions. And it, it is hard, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, chapbooks, chapbooks are fun to put together because it's a it's a microcosm of that same process on a smaller scale and usually more thematic. So that and, you know, there's a story arc in there usually with a chapbook. That's a yeah, I think that's a really fun process. I love putting together yeah, for, chapbooks. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you want to read a couple more poems from the, the book? Let's see. I'm going to read. This is the one on page okay. six, Tim. Um, this is about my, uh, I feel like this poem always needs a little bit of setup. This is about my, my high school sweetheart, um, whom, I, whom I'm still uh, very fond of, and we still keep in touch a little bit. Uh, and uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we, we got back in touch after kind of a long time not talking to each other, and we sort of phone dated for like the better part of a year um, and, and I'll just cut to the chase and say that it was not the fairy tale ending. We did not end up getting back together, and I think that's okay. Um, we still keep in touch. Um, but this is about um, some of the conversations that we had when we were sort of kind of trying to decide, okay, is this still a thing that we have going on after all this past between us? This is called My Ex Sends Me Photos of His Food. On a blue plate that was the one thing his wife left him of meat and long-simmered sauce, of portions meted out to last the week, of spices hand-ground, hand-warmed before he tosses them in the scalding sea, of the patient heads of Brussels sprouts, of his kitchen. His mother says, you were so sad. His brother says, why do you dredge that up? His father speaks from a small star at the corner of the universe. It was like a death in the family. The one cake I baked him was like a head crushed in a wreck. Now we're all whiskey, whiskey, whiskey on the phone. Forgive us our trips into kitsch. Heineken was so 16. We liked the girl on St. Pauli, ready and busty and blue. He sends me photos of a bush. It's spring, and the bush is the shape of a spaceship, glowing yellowish-green 
like life peeled off its skin and hurts in the open. Maybe snow tomorrow. The world is going backward, time in reverse. We are older, but the green beats of wings still work, still hum. Soon we'll taste apples, then berries. And that was my ex. Sends me photos of his food from The Trouble with New England Girls. Let's hear another one. Okay. Yeah, since this is, uh, this is the anniversary of my mom's death, which she would not want me to commemorate, I can hear her saying, oh, don't do that. Celebrate my birthday or something. Um, I'm going to read uh, this poem's on page 13. Uh, this, is a, this is a sonnet. I think I actually wrote this for, uh, for a Prairie Home Companion. They, they had a, a contest years ago, years and years ago, before all the troubles. Um, and uh, and the, 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 uh, the theme was to write a, I think it was to write a love sonnet for your mother or for, you know, for somebody who was not a lover or something like that. Um, and it actually was a finalist in, in the contest, and uh, they did not read the, the poem out loud, I think because it has <laughs> sex and drugs in it. Um, <laughs> that might have been the problem on NPR. Uh, but they did say my name on the, air, on the air. They announced it that I was a finalist on the air, and that was very exciting. Um, so, yeah, this is about my, uh, about my parents and their relationship. It's called Rhode Island for my mother. That summer in Mesquamacut, when boys as ripe as ripe as roadside corn shot pool in darkened 18-over bars. I found the joy they buried deep in denim straight front pockets, pipe screens, joints, and all the damp and salty wounded want my navigating hands could plunder. Home and sunburned, bedroom walls, my gulag, no diary, no dolls, digging sand and ashes the trenches of my shoes, I heard her laughing, late in bed with dad, no malice in her voice, in love, a girl whose moody boy came home for her with mad martinis, seven jokes to sleep on, sleep itself, a garland he laid at her feet. And that was Rhode Island uh, from... The book, and of course, we published this in Rattle eventually, so it's a good thing Prairie Home Companion didn't. That's right. Um, I, I love that, love that ending. I know. Um, so I wanted to ask, though, about one of the things I love about your work is you have the best endings, um, oh. and, and they're usually very imagistic, too. Like, you, you're great with image, um, and a lot of times you end on a really, really strong image. Um, so I've always wondered how does how does that come about in your writing process? Um, did the image like does it just appear to you? Is it like in the process of revision you find better and better endings? Um, do you write toward the ending? How do you do the endings? Oh, that's interesting. Endings are really hard. I'll just say really hard. Titles and endings are like two of the hardest things. Um, yeah, and you know I have many a poem that I just think is great, except for that crappy ending that I just can't cannot figure out. So, um, so yeah, I work really hard on them. Sometimes they, they come easily. Um, I rarely, I would say probably never work toward the ending. Um, it's, it's a process of discovery the whole way along. Occasionally I will find that I actually had the ending in the poem all along and it's in the middle there and it just needs to be brought to the end. Oh, but that's actually, you know, that's the, that's the note that I want to hit there. Um, in terms of ending on an image, um, I'm a friend of mine, 
a, a poet friend of mine, he and I have this discussion all the time. I can hear him groaning right now because I'm always in our workshop group. I'm always, you know, suggesting that people, you know, this might be stronger if you entered this on an image. And we, he and I debate this all the time. And, and I learned that from Dorian Locke's. Um, and Joe Millar, who were giving uh, a, a workshop at the Klamath Falls Library. And this was, oh, I don't know, 12 years ago, something like that. Um, had a lot of people at that, at that workshop. And it was a free, you know, a free thing that the library system did. This wonderful series that my friend Mary Hope, Emmy Hope, uh, who also has been around several times. Um, she used to run that series. Thank you. Thank you, Mary, for all those great workshops. Um, and they, they were very adamant about, you know, this, if, if you were wondering about what to do at the end of this poem, find an image and end it on that image because it's open-ended, right? It, it, it kind of leads the, the, the reader off, um, to, to think on their own. It doesn't tell them what to think. It gives them something to see while they're thinking. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm explaining that very inadequately, I think. But it, boy, it's a good it's a good technique, and I use it a lot. And most of the time, if I'm kind of stuck and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm really not happy about this ending. Mostly, it's because I'm trying to I'm trying to hit that theme too hard there. I'm trying to tell people what to think when really I should just, you know, give them an image that kind of hints mm-hmm. at where I wanted them to go. But really, they're on their own after that. Um, I think that's a really powerful way to to end a poem. And not every poem needs to end that way. Um, but that's a conscious choice uh, frequently on on uh, on my side. And, and thank you for noticing that. <laughs> it, it fills a lot of, um, you know, like we do the critiques of the week on Friday. And, and th- the things you want are, with a poem are you want it to be memorable. And so so it like leaves an image in your head. Like we're, we're, our memory is mostly image based. And then it also the other thing is, is it lets the, the reader interact, you know, like it, it, it becomes a dance where yeah. you're being led, but you're not um, being thrown around like a rag doll, you know? And so uh, That's right. it's a good way to make it interactive too, by leaving it um, flat with that sticky, great image, um, which a lot of your poems just do so well. Um, Thanks. Going back a little bit, the, the, the questions are sort of delayed too, but um, back, going back to the, uh, Gail Hemmen has an interesting question. She says, do you find a difference in your practice when you're writing every day versus inspiration based? Like, like, are the poems oh. different based on how they come? That's a great question. Um, yeah, you know, definitely. It's definitely different. Um, the thing that I like about those those 30-day marathons, um, when I can get myself to do them, is that uh, whether or not I'm inspired, I have to write that poem. So I, I, you, you can't wait around for the inspiration to move you. I know it doesn't move me very often. Sometimes I have to go out and lasso it, you know, and bring it in um, or hope for the best or whatever. Um, and I write a lot of poems during those 30-day marathons that I'm not expecting to write because I have to crank something out that night. And sometimes that's, that's drudgery and sometimes it's not a good poem and, I, and I'm unhappy and I feel kind of chafed by the experience. And other days, nights, as I usually write at night, um, other nights I'm just like, whoa, where did that come from? And and I never would have birthed that poem if I hadn't forced myself to sit down that night and write. And write. So, um, and I love those moments of those 30-day marathons. That makes it all worth it. If I can get, you know, three poems in a month that come out like that that I would not have written otherwise, it is worth it all the drudgery and all the teenage uh, rebellion going on inside of me those other days. 
um, it's really a different process. Um, it, you know, I'm not really one to say, okay, I'm going to write about this and sit down and write a poem about that. Sometimes I do say, okay, I'm going to write about this. But when I sit down and write that poem, and this is kind of speaks to the inspiration thing, like, oh, I'm inspired to write this poem on those days, not doing the marathon, but when I'm just writing when the spirit moves me. I sit down when the spirit moves me, but it moves me in a really different direction most of the time. Most of the time I don't end up with the poem that I started out to write, or I start out to write that poem that I'm inspired to write, and it peters out or it just goes clunk, you know, halfway through. And very often I'll set that aside and I'll try it again. It's like, well, I had this germ of something. I'm going to try to go in there from a different angle and just see what happens then. So then I'm kind of playing. It's like, let me just try something I wasn't trying to do before. Once I'm not trying, that's a much more interesting poem most of the time because it's like, you know, you let the dog go. Let the dog go find it. Uh, let it off the leash. Um, so, and, and I think in, uh, you know, when you're ri- trying to write a poem every day, you have to do a lot of that letting the dog off the leash thing because you just, otherwise you can't think of anything, right? It's so hard for me to just come up with what, and literally what am I going to write about? I don't know. Just, you know, and then, then it's like pick a random thing, you know, look at a news story and, you know, look at a photo or whatever and, you know, start writing about a corner of that photo. And sometimes that's that's pretty interesting and just, um, you know, necessity and the mother of invention and all that. You, you do it because you have to. Uh, and it works out sometimes. Well, well everyone. That's a really convoluted answer. Convoluted answer <laughs> yeah, everyone that. in the chat one is really loving uh uh, Vicky Miko loves ghost clunk, that phrase used, and Caitlin Buxbaum <laughs> saying amen. Um, you mentioned um, th- that those months that you write consistently, you find the most worth in your, a lot of value, and I think you use those words. Um, what, what is it about poetry that, that, you, that you value? Like, why is it like an enriching part of your life? Have you thought about that? Oh, God. God. Like, is it, is it like the, the feeling of writing while you're doing it? Is it like publishing and sharing your story? Is it reading? Like, well, like what is it that, that you get out of it? Yeah. Boy, that's a, I don't actually think about that very often. That's a really interesting question. Um, the act, the act of actually doing it, of creation, um, is, um, it is like a drug. It's like a, it's like a nexus. It's like that nexus in that Star Trek movie, uh, that heavenly place where you're trying to get back to over oh, you've been you were there once and you're always trying to go back there again because it was like the best place you've ever been um so that's that's kind of my you know my my opiate or whatever uh that creation if i were not writing for publication i don't know how i would feel about that it would be that would be a different a different feeling of fulfillment i write very much for to get my work out there but that's you know and mostly in the last 20 years or so that's been more of a thing. Um, but, but it's really, I, I don't think about that while I'm writing. I am definitely, I'm trying to surprise myself all the time. Um, and that's what I enjoy about it. It's like, um, you know, how can I make this combination that's kind of like a song or it's kind of like a collection of chords or it's like a painting or something like that where um, this thing didn't exist before. And it does now because somehow like I, I, I wrought it with my own hands and I don't even quite know how I did that. I, I love that feeling and, and I try to get back to that again and again. Um, yeah, it's so interesting yeah. that the, the way that, that both are so, so tied together, but they're so different. Like that the act of creation and the act of sharing, like if you didn't have somewhere to share it with, even if it's like a small, just someone 
to show or some little group to show it with. Um, it, it's sort of hard to do it, but then, but then the thing that you love is the is the act of making newness in the world or something and playing with those puzzles. And I don't know, it's, it's strange that like it's like a a frame relationship or whatever. Like it wouldn't work without the other. You know, it's just I don't know how they emerge. Or, or it's possible that if you know if I weren't thinking if I weren't writing for publication, I might write completely different work than yeah. I write now. Um, I, the, one of the advantages of the 30-day marathons for me is that I think of it as woodshedding. I, I worked in the music industry for a long time, and guitar players always talk about, oh, you know, I needed to write a bunch of songs, so I just woodshed it, which meant I didn't, I didn't play in public. I just like went into a room and I just played for a month or a year or whatever. Um, and and I kind of, I try to get into that mentality during those those 30-day marathons where I am not writing for an audience. Um, and that can be very freeing. And sometimes I could sort of jump, sort of leap into a new kind of writing, a new form, a new voice or whatever, um, because nobody's paying attention to what I'm doing. Um, it's funny, though, you know, in, in those those 30-day uh, marathon groups, the National Poetry Writing Month in particular, I do it with a group and we share our poems every day. And I can feel that I become a little bit audience-centric, a little bit audience-focused, and I don't like that. And I feel that way sometimes about work, workshop groups as well, because I can hear what, you know, what this friend is going to say about that poem. This friend's not going to like that line or whatever. And sometimes I really have to kind of shut that out and truly woodshed and kind of shed and kind of put up a, some walls around me so that I am not hearing any of that um, so that the true discovery can happen. Um, and that that's the really joyful part where it's like, whoa, never wrote that before. I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited about the way that one came out. That's different. I like yeah. that. Same thing musicians talk yeah. about, right? You know, on the new album, well, he, he, all he does is stuff that's different than the old stuff. We don't like it anymore. Yeah, but, but entering that, that zone you gotta as do the it. artist and, and, and just, I don't know, it's like the perfection of human consciousness or something to be creating in that way. Um, like a, you know, like Michael Jordan yeah. hitting all the three pointers, or you know, whatever. It's that feeling that that we all love mm-hmm. as writers. I think. Um, let, let's hear a couple more poems. Um, mm-hmm. The next. Let's do the next two. Okay. Let's see. Well, I'm going to do the next two are two of those um, that braided sequence in the middle of the book. I thought I'd read one of each. So I'm on pages 20 and 21 here. Um, yeah. So the the um, the one sequence is the untitled poems about the Rogue River. Um, this particular one is about uh, uh, rafting and, um, you know, the, the, um, the signs that they tell you to make during the sort of the safety um, lecture that you get at the beginning of a rafting trip. You know, how to show if you're in danger, if you fall in the water, how to show if you're in danger, how to show if you're safe and how to get rescued and that kind of thing. I'll start with that. If you fall into the rapids, make an arrow with your feet. Make a pillow of everything behind you. Look up. Hang on to that one buoyant stick you brought. Remember, you may not hear voices above the water. If you know you're drowning, is this air or again that dream? Before it's too late, make an X with your arms. Think crossbones which almost anyone can do, even if one is broken. And then across the, across the page, um, this other series is about um, grief 
uh, told through the lens of everyday objects and pop culture and kind of the things around us, gr grief as this, this many, many faceted thing um, that sort of lives in your life as you get older, for me anyway. That's not the one that I That's planned. Right. I'm sorry. I'm going to a different page. Different okay. page. Uh, page 31. Okay. Same sequence, though. The grief as a low depression over southern Indiana. A year's worth of rain already. Vines climb whatever doesn't move. Heavy was only a word before the roof stove in. Hunters are too hot and the limestone quarry stands quiet as history. Clouds fight fast and boil a wall, flash and roll, and it's like somebody pulled a rope and let an ocean fall down. Pull over. It may never stop, but you can't drive in all this mess. So loud, it drowns the radio's wail. You're inside, alone your own lone breath making weather on the windows. Lights on so nobody hits you as they carom this way under their own insistent storms. That was The Grief is a Low Depression Over Southern Indiana from The Trouble with New England Girls by Amy Miller. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that, that you worked um, in, the, in the music industry um, for, it was Guitar Player Magazine for 14 years, we, we read in the That's bio, right. I think. And... Um, I was just wondering, like, what, what was it like working in that industry in comparison to poetry? Like, um, <laughs> were, were they two sort of completely separate um, parts of your life, or were they kind of mingle at all? And, and how did you get into that field as a, as a writer? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't doing any sort of writing, really, while I was working there. I was an ad salesperson for, uh, for, for a music publisher, a magazine publisher. Um, and I was, I was very much an outsider in that world. Um, it's interesting, you know, I work for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival now, and I'm very much an, an outsider in that world also, because I have no theater background at all. You know, I came in for, from a completely different, for a completely different reason than making theater. Um, but in the music industry, so I worked with almost entirely musicians for, and it was actually closer to 20 years, because I worked for a book publisher later that was also a music book publisher affiliated with the magazine. Um, so all my friends and coworkers were musicians for a long time. Um, and I loved being in that world with them because it was all about, uh, creating, it wasn't this art and there are so many talented people in the music business, which is uh, a wonderful thing to see every day. And also kind of heartbreaking that there are so many people who are so good, who don't make a living at it, who can't make a living at it. There's just not enough room in this country, you know, for all these talented uh, musicians to, to make a living doing what they love to do. So, you know, for some of them working in the magazine business was, was a day job that happened to relate to their, to, to their art. And for some of them, it was an extension of their art. Uh, a little, a little bit of everything. It, it was, for me, it was very separate from, from my life as a writer. Um, I don't know that a lot of them even knew that I was a writer at the time. Um, but it was, you know, it was a joyful world to work in for the most part. And that was very, um, very sustaining to me uh, as an artist to just work in that environment where uh, people uh, valued their own innate ideas and their own talents and, and, um, and fostering those talents and uh, practice and, 
and all of that. Um, and you know, they got into it for the sheer joy of it. That's why they were, why they were doing it. Um, so I guess that's the connection. It was just a lucky break really that I got into that industry. I had worked in my very first job when I was 17 years old was at a magazine. Um, and it was cause I knew somebody who worked there. They needed a receptionist and it was an aviation. We did an aviation magazine and we did a military electronics magazine. Those were our two magazines. So it was in the defense industry, uh, primarily, uh, that was a strange place to be at 17 years old when I didn't know anything about that world. Uh, and I knew somebody who had worked at guitar player magazine, which was another local magazine. And she was always talking about how great it was. Like Jerry Garcia used to come by for jam sessions and just great fun, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll all the time on the job. It was like the best job ever. And, uh, and then I saw a few years later, I saw an opening at guitar player and I was like, Oh man, you know, I should get back into magazine publishing. I really enjoyed being in publishing. And uh, so I, you know, got on part time there and then eventually was full time and ended up staying there a really long time because it was a good place to work and great people, a great family of people. We're still many of us are still friends. Thank goodness for Facebook. You know, we've kept in touch on social media. Uh, we call it the GPI mm -hmm. family. You know, that's that's who we are. And it's a big family. Um, yeah. So it continues to to influence influenced my life in a way i have so many friends still from that from those days how did you find your way into poetry like at what point in your life uh, did you start taking that seriously oh gosh um well i uh poetry i i wrote a lot of fiction as a little kid i wrote a lot of stories and got a lot of encouragement from a from a teacher in seventh grade and um, and then in high school, um, I somehow, I, you know, I discovered E.E. E. Cummings in some class, and I was very intrigued by the the lack of punctuation and the wildness of those poems and the the way you know you really had to you had to work to figure them out. They were not giving you everything on a plate. I loved that, um, and I had a really great teacher, probably my freshman or sophomore year in high school, Peter Flynn, Mr. Flynn, in the Westfield School System. Um, and he had a writing poetry class for, you know, probably my sophomore year or something. And he was really encouraging and really, really lovely about it. And he was a tough teacher and, um, hard to please. And so it, it meant a lot to me that he, that he valued my writing and that he encouraged it. And he really, um, he really gave me a big boost to keep going with that. So I filled notebooks with all kinds of E.E. E. Cummings type type you know little eye everything was always the little eye <laughs> and all over why, the why do you think it is that younger um, poets are just so drawn to the comings and the lowercase i yeah mm -hmm. i think it's playful you know he was a very playful poet although you know as a teenager i was not being playful of course you know i was much too serious for that um it, it a mixture of um playfulness and uh, mm -hmm. rebellion there's you know there was there was the the complete trashing of, of punctual uh, conventions. Um, and that was uh, very appealing to me at 14 or, or whenever that was. Um, very, the idea of freedom, you know, you can just go anywhere you want on this, on this blank piece of paper. Um, you know, let the reader figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's kind a, of a cop out. <laughs> that's a great way it to put it, though, because I've always, you know, coming like some of my favorite poems are Cummings, um, and and even Rattle um, Allen's favorite poem is as the the anyone who lived in a pretty how town he recites oh, yeah. that all the time. It's his favorite, and I love um, 
um, just a, a bunch of them and, and the, the more serious ones that are not the, the grasshopper and things like that. But he just had an amazing way of moving. And then I always wonder why, um, you know, he isn't as, um, you know, in, in the academic world, he's so sort of trashed, I guess you could say. But um, yeah. but I think it, I always thought it was just because young people like him so much that it sort of makes it not feel serious or something. But, popularity. I think there are some some uh, social and political um, marks against him. Hmm. Um, that you know, it's kind of reckoning, uh, kind of a reckoning these days, and I, I couldn't even list those, but I know there are there are some in his case. Oh, really? I didn't um, know that. Also. There were some issues. I think he, there were some there was some racism oh, really? in some of his work and some of his writings, hmm. as I recall. Hmm. I'll have to look that up. Uh, I, I didn't wasn't aware of huh? that. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, let's let's read a couple more poems. We have. Um, what did we want to read next? You had. Yes. Um, I'll read this one. Then. Yeah, Mad Money on 52. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so we have four poems left. and Let's just do all four. Let's uh, let's do two, okay. and then we'll talk a little more, and then do the last two. So we'll just we'll get them all. Good. Okay. All right. Because our open mic so, is uh, short poems, the clogger, clogger, clogger knock, <laughs> which are all oh, going to be very short. Form, so I think form. the open mic will leave a lot of time. Okay. Um, all right. So um, so I'll just say this this poem is about uh, a conversation that my mother and I had about the phrase uh, mad money, mad money, um, where she corrected me. I thought that it was mad money was something that you kept in your pocket in case you wanted to do something crazy. And she said, no, mad money is uh, in case you get mad at your date and you have to find your way home. Oh, wow. Like uh, mad Money, and this features some, some scenes from her courtship with my dad. She says it's for bus fare home. Not like crazy paint the town, but mad, mad, really mad. Hornets and hell, and how could he? And the fog was so thick, they had to stop and sleep in the car. In the morning, they saw they'd been hanging over the edge of a... Says you tuck it in a shoe in case he takes your purse, in case a hand goes over your mouth as one goes up your. Says her aunt brought home these sailors and they all played poker and her aunt died a drunk, but she always liked a. And the car got a flat and he was in a cast and he changed it with a broken. And somebody stole his shirt and his watch but they went to Reno and got married in a borrowed. She says, even then, you tuck it in a drawer in case he. That was Mad Bunny. I, I love that uh, that that style. It's a powerful. Um, I, I'm I'm not asking. It's in between two poems, and I said we would just read more poems. But, uh, <laughs> but where, where did you come up with that idea? Was that a poem that you wrote a different way, and then that idea to to stop everything off occurred to you, or um, did it yeah, just come on its own? Do you remember? I think I did. Um, I did write out those phrases and like told those stories, mm-hmm. and it was so pedestrian, and so boring, and so obvious to actually have all those details in there. Then it just kind of became this list of things that happened. Um, and I thought it. And I didn't need to tell those stories. I discovered if I cut it off, the reader completes the story, more or less. There are a few that you know that are open to interpretation, certainly. But it's a. I thought it was more powerful to. Um, to to really cut that story off before it ends because you know where it's going mm-hmm. yeah for sure and it made it a more interesting poem you know there were parts of it that i liked and wanted to preserve but it was too much with all those stories 
you know, spelled out. Yeah, it's, it's, it sort of goes back to everything you were saying earlier with the concision and the letting the reader, you know, interact with it too. And, and um, yeah, yeah, it's a good example of all that. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, so I, I, and I'm going to read this one that, that was on uh, Rattle, po- Rattle's Poets Respond. It was, I think it was the first one I had on Poets Respond. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Shortly after you started doing it within that first year, I think. Um, and, I, you know, I don't really want to talk about the story, the news story that, um, that sparked it. Let's just, I'll just briefly say it was about a couple of young men who, who killed a lot of chickens. And it was a, it was a pretty big news story um, at that time. It was a horrible, horrible story that stuck in me like a toxic substance um and this is this is a poem that's very narrative right this is like this doesn't leave anything out (laughs) um true story for those who would kill chickens i wish i could show you how we saved him named him steven stupid name for a chicken but when he wandered out from the woods black sheen hooked with leaves and the crazy red rubber of his comb. We had to call him something. I thought lucky after a horse stomped on him so hard, caught in the corral like a mouse in traffic. Then maybe rip when he tucked his head in the elbow of the foreman's wife and fell asleep in her arms. Stephen, she whispered, who knows, some baby or a friend long gone, and it stuck. I could show you my sandwiches he pulverized, his crooked jagger dance on the paddock's dusty stage, how each of us came to grudgingly help this alien flown from some coop, how a thing like that takes root on a shelf in a dark tack room, settling on an overshirt you meant to take home that now is sacrificed, no matter, to this thing you've named that needs you. Each night we closed and locked that door against whatever was out there that hadn't yet learned his name or the iridescence of his weak and perfect wings. That was for those who would kill chickens from the trouble with New England girls. Um, there was a discussion as we were talking about the revision process over on a, on YouTube. People were talking about um, what do they call it? The um, the bad poems folder, um, which is where people save all the poems that don't work to go through <laughs> later. And I was just wondering, I mean, I do that too. I think everybody, does everybody do that? Do you do that? Do you have a bad poems folder that you save? What do you do with bad poems when you're, when you, when you, when you don't think that they're doing anything? Do you get rid of um, them? Or? I, I have one big poem, one big folder that says poems. Mm-hmm. I keep everything in there, published, not published, everything, uh, not all the drafts. I put some drafts, early drafts, in in another folder. Um, I don't. I never consider anything completely abandoned, although there are plenty that I'll never go back to. But I have gone back to some poems that I thought were were uh, you know DOA, um, and and I found something in them that I liked and that you know I could remember, or or that I liked that wasn't even the reason why I wrote that poem in the first place. Um, I have gone back and. So I'm. We could talk a lot about revision. I am a, a a ruthless reviser. I love tearing poems apart, ripping them up, changing them around, throwing things out, um, changing their format completely, putting them into prose, putting them back into lines. Um, so it, you know, if there's something in that poem that I still like, 
I will just revise the hell out of it. And sometimes I've come up with poems that I that I like out of doing that. So I I don't give up on them completely. There are a bunch from my youth that I will that I will never revisit. And I see them in the list and I just skip them. You know, I know which ones they are and I do kind of leave them alone. But that's not to say that I might not find something in, you know, there might be a germ of something in there that I could that I could revise the snot out of and make something decent out of. Um, so, you know, it's all for me, it's all about revision. Um, another thing I was going to ask about, which I kind of forgot until just now, um, you were in our persona poems issue, which you read on number 63. And you had a poem, um, I think the it's about from the perspective of Turkey on the side of the road. Uh, the deer and the turkeys, yes, yeah. the turkey and the deer. So. Um, which um, that reminded me of. And, and in the note, you said that um, you hardly ever write in persona anymore. Um, you say it used mm-hmm. to seem like such a great way to break out of the eye rut to take the photo photobombing poet out of the poem and turn the camera outward. Um, but then you say that, that um, you know, lately you feel like it's more, you know, you're too worried about appropriating and fetishizing and diminishing other people that have different experiences. Do you still feel that way? Or um, yeah. can you talk yeah. a little bit about yeah. that? Do you, um, sure. is that something you're conscious yeah. of as you write now? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and speaking of old poems, um, occasionally there are poems from, you know, from years past where I see now that I would not want to have that poem published now. Um, I had one that I actually took out of uh, New England Girls. It was in the manuscript that that won the prize. And then I had a a quick chat with my publisher later on, and I said, you know, I am feeling uncomfortable about this one poem. Um, I really don't want it out in the world. Um, So I I ended up taking it out. Um, And, you know, we as people uh, evolve and change and learn. And I think a lot of us, particularly us white writers, are going through a lot of learning, you know, in the last few years and hopefully the last bunch of years. Um, and uh, so that poem in particular was, um, it was about uh, about Arab culture. And it was about taking uh, Arabic uh, classes. I took Arabic language classes for about a year and a half and, and had a, really had a great experience doing that. And it was about those classes. But I, I had some some cultural stereotypes in that poem. And I was... Um, fetishizing some aspects of Arab culture. And it was so ingrained in the structure of that poem that I couldn't just pull Mm -hmm. those things out. The poem kind of fell apart without them. Um, And I had just read uh, 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 an expose and a bunch of a bunch of like Twitter feeds and this kind of thing about a a book that a journalist had written, a, a white male American journalist about some some travels in the Middle East. And he had had a a book and I think it I don't know if it was on the bestseller list so I think that there was a review of it in like the New York Times that was favorable or whatever and a lot of Middle Eastern writers were coming out and saying what the fuck like why why is this book being elevated where this guy basically dipped his toe into into Arab culture and that's a huge it's not a monolith at all that's a huge you know bunch of cultures Mm -hmm. anyway and and he's talking about how you know how beautiful the women are and how mysterious and exotic. I mean, he, he had a whole bunch of tropes and stereotypes in this book, and these these writers were coming out and say saying, "Hey, New York Times, there are a lot of good books out there by Arab writers and Arab American writers and Middle Eastern American writers that you could be featuring instead of this this stack of mm-hmm. stereotypes that this that this guy had published." And and I started thinking about that poem about that same time. And I, and I realized, uh, I was guilty of that, that I had, that was a mistake. And it was something that would be, that would be offensive 
uh, to some some Arab readers, probably, and and uh, that was it for that poem. So that's one where I've drawn, you know, that would go in the don't don't publish that folder now. Um, so I'm I'm we deal with this a lot at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. We get a lot of training in this kind of thing, and we have these discussions, um, you know, during the season when we're choosing plays for future seasons and that kind of thing. We talk about this literally every day about appropriating the stories, about white writers appropriating the stories of, of uh, people who belong to cultures that white American culture has traditionally oppressed. And what right do we have to tell those stories when white writers have been doing it for mm-hmm. generations, right? Um, so I'm a lot more sensitive to that now. And, and I really, it's, it's been a real blessing to get that training and to have those conversations um, because they're conversations that are happening all over this country now, and they need to keep happening, and they need to happen at the local level and in the school system, and and this kind of thing. Because um, you know we've been getting away with this mm-hmm. kind of racism and this kind of homophobia and misogyny, and you know, and on and on um, for for all of this country's history for for generations. Um, and uh, and we don't have to, you know, we can learn not to do that. We can learn to be respectful. And, uh, and and kind to other cultures and and try to to uh, mediate some of that damage that we've done. Yeah, it's, an, it's such a so there we yeah. go. That's my so <laughs> no, it's, it's a good point. <laughs> and to be self aware and to realize that you know you made a mistake with something that you wouldn't want to publish is an important thing. Uh, you know the submissions uh, that we get over the it, it, I mean some of the Shakespeare Festival maybe there's a lot of stuff that um like like wow, <laughs> but uh, but what are you going to do but except not publish it I guess so uh, that's just the way it goes. Um, in this world. But uh, do you want to finish up? Uh, you have two poems left that are newer. Um, and I wanted to ask too, before you read them, like, like what direction do you think you're going in now? Like you mentioned you're working on a manuscript um, and you know, these have these interwoven themes, which are, I think there's kind of three braided through this book, um, the, the trouble with new England girls. Um, what, what is the book that you're working on now? What's that like? And then we can read the poems. Yeah. Well, um, one of the poems that I'm going to read here is from a series that I've been writing about my, about my sister, um, I have two sisters, and my older sister died a couple of years ago, and um, she and I lived together two different times, and we were really close when we were younger, and um, she had uh, substance abuse issues and uh, some emotional issues as well, and um, we had a, the family, as a family, we had a lot of difficulties with her, and there were divisions in the family, and it kind of blew the family apart eventually. Um, and, and then she died and she died very suddenly. And, um, so I've been, um, you know, I feel like now there are some stories that I can tell that I was not comfortable telling because when she was around, because I don't think she would want to read these things. Um, uh, talk about appropriation, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying here I am doing it, but you know, I was her sister. They are my stories too. And these are from my perspective. Um, and, and I'm trying to revisit, uh, these stories from a, from a place of, of forgiveness and love. Actually, I'm really trying to do, to rediscover the love that I had for her for so long. And she was older than me and I kind of worshiped her and she was a hero to me. And, um, so I'm telling these difficult stories and some of the happier stories, um, too, but it's, um, very fertile ground. And I, uh, so I've got a bunch of these, these poems. And so I think this next book will have a great deal of that. Um, yeah, and, and I always write a lot about animal rights and animal welfare. 
that's always part of that. How I'm going to work that all together? I don't know. I don't know that yet. <laughs> that's part mm-hmm. I'm dreading. Is this going to work? Is this a thing? Okay, so shall I yeah, go, go into these last, read the last two poems two, here? Yeah. Okay. okay, so uh, this is a prose poem um, about my sister and our living together. It's called Capsule. Sometimes like the kind you swallow, we live in one that close. My sister's the red side. I'm the white. We can't keep our powder straight. Sometimes she's all acid, and then we're the other kind of capsule. Corroded bulkheads, precious little air. She pours tequila and vodka on the dials and makes a toxic cloud. And not for fun, none of this is fun now. It's life and death up here, death stare. She leaves experiments half done. A black roast in the oven, a pan of something hardened on the stove. I shout and can't wake her. Home is trying to call her on our little tin radio. The astronauts in in cryo sleep. I grab the shoulders of her suit and shake, but she's half subsumed by some alien vine trapped in her birth. I check for breath. She's breathing, but a trans-dimensional fold won't let her wake. I'm tired of this metaphor, as tired, reader, as you must be. I roll it up, a tiny paper, and slide it inside a capsule. And do I swallow? Of course, over and over, surrealist loop. A kind of propulsion, not great, but it's what we have. We're riding on a hydrofoil of slippery space. Out the window is an angry planet, furious spin. We land there for a while. She wakes up, walks out, says it's perfect. There are no inhabitants. She says I should take the ship. Take it anywhere, she says. Just take it. And I'll, I'll end with uh, this, this poem that's about, uh, it's about a fiddle tune. I play violin kind of badly. And, uh, and I write a lot about fiddle tunes um, because they're so, they're ecrastic poems about kind of things that come to mind while I'm playing these songs. Um, so this is Ashokan Farewell. It's about a cabin I used to live in. By the third note, it's a whine. The slide up to D like the creak of the old front door. And inside, the smell of the gas oven I opened with a dishcloth, slow. All the openings. The backyard onto the creek. Hilltops speaking no human name. The shed up the rise with birch piled under the eaves, black scent of motor oil. Winter beat us senseless, pushed us into a warm corner of the bed. A song trying to match the wind. Bow and fingers dragged with mute and slur, then sometimes bright. There are other ways to remember this. Some mornings sang like coffee poured in hungry cups. One of the last two poems that was Ashokan Farewell from uh, Amy Miller's forthcoming book, which um, might be a while before she figures out uh, how what order to put the poems in. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much for, for being a guest today, Amy. It was a really pleasure talking to you and, and reading your poems more in depth. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, so it's nice to, to put a face to the name and uh, hear what you have to say about a lot of things. It was a great conversation. Thanks for it. 
Thank you. Great questions. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, have a good night. Bye. You too. Yeah, so that was Amy Miller with her uh, book that just came out two years ago, um, The Trouble with New England Girls, which I'll show on the screen again. And uh, that is available from Concrete Wolf. Um, it was part of the Concrete Wolf Lewis Award series. And you can find more of Amy's work at her website, which is, I have to make sure I get it right. Um, I don't know if there's an S. Yeah, it's writersisland.blogspot.com. There's a hyphen there. So writers-island.blogspot.com is where you'll find Amy Miller. Um, and you can find more of her books. And if you uh, read the show notes, which we totally forgot to talk about. I really wanted to talk about this. Um, two of Amy Miller's chapbooks are um, available for free um, as online chapbooks. Um, through Boat Press and White Knuckle Press. I really wanted to talk about um, the decision to publish in that um, in that way, but I actually forgot about that question. Uh, so anyway, maybe we'll have Amy on next time and we will talk about that. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to do the open lines, as always. And um, the, oops, the, um, the number for the open lines is... 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. What you do is let it ring a few times, then just hang up, and you'll appear on my call list. I'll call you back by the end of the hour if I'm going to. It goes um, oh, two hours is the max for the show. So uh, don't worry about me calling you in the middle of the night if you want to call, but um, I will call you. Then the other option, which you can be on video too, is to send me a chat message over Skype to rattle poetry. All one word, just say hi on Skype that you'd like to read through the chat box, and I'll call you over video call uh, when the time is right. And uh, send your poem to open mic, that's open M-I-C, at rattle.com, all one word, so I can show it on screen as you read, which is always really nice. Now, there is a prompt uh, every week, which is um, not necessary. It's not a mandatory prompt, but um, it's a suggestion. We try to write as many prompt poems as we can. And this week's prompt, just to remind you, was... Um, you write a, oops, there you go, write a, there we go, write a clogger knock, which is a six-line Welsh form. There's a rhyme scheme. It's it's syllabic. Um, it was tough for me. But if you if you manage to write a clogger knack, um, feel free to send it right now, if you haven't yet, to openmic at rattle.com. Um, and call me up like uh, someone from 941 is calling right now. Um, and once again, you do not have to do the prompt. Um the prompt is optional. But if you have any other poems you'd like to share, uh, we'd love to talk to as many people as we can for the next you know, 45 minutes or maybe a little little less than that. But I'm going to take a really quick break. I'll be right back as you get your, your poems emailed to me. And um, before we do, I'm going to let you know next week's guest is going to be Sky Jackson. Um, Sky Jackson is um, a finalist for this year's Rattle Poetry Prize. We also have a, a poem coming out um, in the spring issue of hers and um her chapbook a faster grave is out and um just a wonderful poet she's been on the open mic before so you probably recognize her i'm um, way back last year she's been i think twice so um, we'll talk to her and uh look at her new book a faster grave next tuesday so in the meantime i'll be right back um, after a little break i'm gonna get things organized and then on 30 seconds i'll be back
And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. That gives me a little uh, opportunity to uh, organize things and get things all situated. And uh, for all of you to email me your poems. Uh, now, for the prompt, I struggled with this prompt. Uh, I don't know. Megan said it was easy. And uh, I was very angry with her for saying that because um, I did not think it was easy. I thought it was really hard to write in this form without it sounding like a, um, um, what's the word, a limerick. And, um, and limericks are like silly. And I didn't want to write a silly, you know, poem. I'm not funny enough to pull off a, a good limerick. But I tried. I tried. And this was, uh, this was actually written. I, I mentioned last time I read a book, uh, last week's guest, Sarah Strong's book at the post office in line because we have like this hour and a half line. And um, this week, the same thing. I read Amy Miller's book in line at the post office. And then I had time to listen to a podcast. And then I had time to write this little uh, clogger natch. Clogger knock. Sorry. And um, this is it really quick. This is at the post office, Christmas 2020. At the post office, Christmas 2020. The lines on the parking spaces are six feet apart, our faces under masks. We smile, nod. It'll be a while. Nothing vile, just stasis. That is my clogger knack. And uh, Megan's which was so easy to write, she says, was here. Morning after solstice. Blue like the edges of a dream, a new sky yawns, the coffee steams. Mountains stretch and sigh, cat paws at his eyes, time goes by, pour the cream. See, she, it doesn't sound like a limerick when she does it. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, let me see uh, what you have. We'll call up... Um, We'll make sure definitely we get to the first-time caller, so we'll definitely get to Tony Clark, I see here. There's a 212 number and a 941 number I don't think we've had before, so we will definitely get to each of you. Um, We also have Angela Gardner, Richard Westheimer, Nivedita Karthik, uh, Brent Stauffer, and that's who we have so far. Uh, Just one last reminder that the phone number is 818-850-7727 if you'd like to call and share a poem, or you can send me a chat message over Skype to rattle poetry all one word. Um, and let's get to, let's do first, um, let's try to get the cloggy, clogger knocks, <laughs> the clogger knocks. I said it wrong last time and I'm going to say it wrong every time for the rest of my life. Let's call up Richard Westheimer and, uh, see what his clogger knock was like. Oh, he has a long one. Several stanzas. Hey Richard, how are you doing tonight? Oh, hang on. Let me, I didn't put you in. There you go. First of all, Megan, the internet again. I mean, goodness, it must frustrate you. It does. She, you know, I mean, she's a good writer. So uh, what can you do? But I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, um, yeah. So um, are you okay with me reading the four? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please do. do. Yeah. I want to hear all four okay. of these. Do, do you yeah, want to say so anything about them, though? December 2020 in floor four clogger knocks. Okay. I got it. <laughs> Seasonal affective disorder. It's a cruel joke that solstice arrives before winter's abyss. More darkness to come, hands and spirit numb. Soil succumbs to the mist. Soul succumbs to the mist. What nourishes us in the dark days? The winter garden still spills greens. From ground blanketed deep beneath, mounds of autumn straw, 
and leaves round them drawn, we belong to dream feasts. In-law dying psychotic, any attempt to understand the death throes of the ravaged man, a loner alone, his madness his own, cries for home, God be damned. The day after solstice, this winter is alive with verse, sung in time with the interspersed concerts of slant rhymes as the sun inclines low a sign, star-spun earth. See, somehow you didn't have a problem with it. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I could not not hear a uh, limerick, and then it just ruined the writing process. But you, you yeah, write that I, I, Um, I, I thought about enjambment, mm-hmm. sort of like like what Megan did, sort of running over yeah. the over mm-hmm. the lines, and and also I don't know if it was cheating to use slant rhymes, but there's uh, no cheating in poetry. Uh, well. <laughs> Uh, it certainly was not a hundred percent in keeping, I'm sure, with the Welsh, the old Welsh tradition. Mm-hmm. But the slant rhymes helped me feel like I wasn't just doing a yeah. limerick. Well, well, good job as always. Thanks for sharing those, Richard. Yeah, thanks, have, have Tim. A good day. And next up, let's call. Uh, let's see, where's Nivedita? Yeah, let's call Nivedita before she has to go to work. Hey, Nivedita, how are you doing this morning? Hey, Tim. I'm doing great, thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. Um, let me try to hang on. You're kind of there. You go. Okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> do you have anything to say about your clogger knock? <laughs> clogger knock. Clogger knock. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, I know. According to me, it wasn't as hard to write. But again, like Richard was saying, I don't think I stayed true to the form as well. Mm-hmm. I threw in a few slant rhymes here and there, and I felt that. Anything that comes like this is sort of mystical and mythical, so it, it sort of flows well with more of a story. So I just had like a mini story, like sort of a kid's story sort of thing written in in the clogger enough. It's three sets of six lines, so and it wasn't as hard to write. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, <laughs> well, well, everyone's making me feel bad tonight. Okay, so oh, let's no. hear it. The slaying no, of the red. Just like rhyming poems better. <laughs> the slaying <laughs> of the red dragon. Go ahead, whatever, mm-hmm. whenever you're ready. I've got it. Great. Thank you. The slaying of the red dragon. Deep in the forest of the night lies hidden a very strange sight. A circle of trees untouched by the breeze where fairies live in fright. Hiding from ye drag gok and heading out past five o'clock to forage for food and, while at it, brood, the fairy's mood is black as rock. Then along came a knight one day and chased the beast into the bay. Happy as can be, fairies danced in glee. Finally free, trees did sway. Excellent. That was Nivedita Karthik, of and, course. And uh, here yeah. the Yidraigoch is uh, Welsh for the Red Dragon. Excellent. Hence the title of the poem. Very excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks for sharing that, Nivedita. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Always a pleasure to speak yep. with you. Yep. Have a good day. Okay. Have a good evening. Okay. Um, and now let's see. Let's take a, let's try some of the new callers now. We'll get to Brent and Angela and um, um, anybody else who has a clogger knock later but let's go to um let's try let's do this 212 number i think that's new york city right 212 so the phone's ringing now just waiting for somebody to answer hey this is tim with rattle did you want to share a poem 
Yes, I did, and I'm listening right now. <laughs> oh, why don't you cut that off so uh, you don't get confused? There's like a 30-second delay, so uh, you, okay. you'll get confused otherwise. I'll, I'll, I'll mute it for a second while you do that. Yeah, so I, I should remind everybody every time uh, there, there's a delay is the video and stuff flies around the Internet. So um, I'm calling from the future when I call. So don't be surprised and be ready to turn off your uh, your streaming device uh, when I do call. Uh, are you back? Yes. Excellent. So who am I talking to? Um, this is Susan Talley. Ah, hey. And where are you calling from, Susan? I'm calling from New York City, and it's kind of a rainy evening. Uh, yeah, I thought 212 was New York City. Um, and what do you have for us tonight? Is this? Um, um, I just felt like jumping in, and that form kind of evades me. But after hearing <laughs> these poems, I think, I think I understand it. Well, that's great. Well, it evades me too. But maybe we can try it some other time. But but yeah, I love having um, just new callers on the open mic. So thanks so much for joining and sharing this. This is Crosstown Street. Is there yeah. anything you'd like to say to um, introduce it? Well, it was published. That's a good thing, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And it was written about four or five years ago. Okay, well, let's hear it. Whenever you're ready, I'll put it on screen for everybody to uh, see as you read. Thank you. Crosstown Street. Puddled walk. Dark night. She navigates past. Raindrops can't blur her animated smile. Through my withering umbrella... Her impressive stride reveals a winner. Though her sneakers are wet like mine, her aura wears a pair of patent leather. Her cell phone shines like a diamond pressed to her ear. Excellent. That was Crosstown Street. A beautiful poem to be sharing today on a rainy night in New York City. Uh, That was Susan Talley. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you. I look forward to listening to more tonight. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I love just sitting around sharing poems. It's it's a real highlight for me. So thanks for joining in. Love new new voices and poems. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Um, so let's do Tony Clark. Um, I I believe it's the same Tony Clark we've published it several times in Rattle, and um, and Tony has a uh, clogger knack too. So let's. Uh, Tally. Oh, I can hear myself again, so mute that. Okay, we're good. We're good. Hey, uh, Tony, how are you doing tonight? Good. Now I'm trying to find where you are. <laughs> well, we can see and hear you, so if you can't see... Can you see me? Yeah, yeah you're good, so uh, don't worry okay, about it if you can't see me. Um, but, okay. but great to see you. Yeah, we've published you... How many times have you been around? Once or twice or oh, three times? Just once. Just once? Just once. In 2007, in issue 27, the slam poetry. Ah. But I didn't slam mm-hmm. poem, but... Yeah. Well, it's great. Great um, to see you. Um, I'm still reading Rattle and loving it. Yes, it's so nice to see you. Yeah. And I tried to write a serious plug or not. It's hard to do. It, I, I could see a, a humorous one, but I don't know. It was. Yeah. I was struggling. You guys did great. Great. Mine is. Mine is not. Mine is humorous. <laughs> well, humor is good too. We need all the humor we can get these days for sure. Um, so, okay. Do you want to go ahead and read it, or is there anything you want to say sure. to introduce it to? Klagernach, charmless. I think that I shall never see a snake I'd let get close to me. However harmless, the leg and armless are charmless as a flea. Although it must be said the flea has no more personality than a snake. It's small and will jump, not crawl. Still, they all appall me. Excellent. I love that. Thanks so much. (laughs) It's Antonia Clark uh, with Charmless. Uh, Thanks for sharing that, Tony. 
Thanks. Nice to see yeah, you. Yeah, great to see you. Yeah, hope to call in again soon. I will. Yeah, I will. Please do. Bye. Bye. Okay. Um, and let's do the other. We have another new first-time caller. Um, and that was the 941 number. Unless I just haven't added somebody into my um, call list. Actually, I should I should add Sally really quick before I forget. Uh, I'll do that in a second. So the phone's ringing now for 941. Hello. Hey, this is Simon Rattled. Yeah, did you want to share a poem? I can hear myself in the background again, so just mute that. Yeah, I just, just muted you. Excellent, excellent. Thanks. So who am I talking to? Uh, this is Patricia Rockwood. Ah, oh, Patricia, so glad you could call. We read your poem last time, um, last week. Yes. Yeah, um, I emailed it to you. Yeah, I have it. Let me get it for you. Is there anything you okay. want to say to uh, set it up? Um, just that um, it was fun to try it. I've always enjoyed playing around with forms, and uh, but this was new to me. I've never heard of this before last week. So um, it was it was kind of fun to play with, but it took me a long time. And um, because it sounded like a limerick, um, it was hard to get out of that, um, you know, that that rhythm. Yeah, that's but exactly I think what I, I managed it. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's hear it. How yeah. to make tea. How to make tea. Fill a kettle, boil, pour over tea, gently, steep, slowly count to three, heat milk. Pour it in, open cookie tin, call the kin, drink with me. Ah, oh, that was excellent. Thanks so much. That was uh, how to make tea. You're I loved it. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. This is Patricia Lock- Rockwood. Thanks, Patricia. You're welcome. Good night. Okay, let me uh, before we we move on. Let me make sure I put both Patricia and um, add contact. This one was Patricia Rockwood. So let me know who's calling next time. Patricia Rockwood. Thanks for, for bearing with me. And um, and the last person before that was Sally. Um, ah, Sally Talley. Let me, let me add up. Oh, Susan Talley. Sorry, Susan Talley. Let me add that too from the, from the 212. Okay. Now... Um, yeah, let's keep going with these awesome poems. We have, uh, let's call up Angela Gartner. Um, I'm pretty sure she has a, a clogger knock. Oh, Dark Winter. Yeah. Let's call up Angela. And let me remind you again, just one more time, if you're if you're on the fence, it's not scary. Feel free to call in and share. Um, the phone number is 818-850-7727. Or you can send me a chat message, uh, all one word, to Rattle Poetry over Skype. And I will call you back either way when it's your turn in line. And send your poem to open mic, open M-I-C at rattle.com. If you can't read but still want to share a poem, um, I can I can read a poem for you too. Um, I want to get to the people who um, you know, are here to call and read because it's always the most fun first. But if there's time, I, I'm happy to read other poems too. So if you just want to email a poem and, and you can't um, get on to read, feel free um, to do that. So let's call up Angela Gartner. And she has Dark Winter, which is a great, I mean, already I can tell that's a great title for a uh, clogger knock. Hey, Angela, how are you doing tonight? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Another great night of poetry. I'm always having fun. Uh, good, great poems here. Um, and you have... Yeah. 
it is really good. I mean, everybody's been so good. I, I'm my poem's a little more depressing, but that that's okay. Hey, you got a new? Is that a new picture in the background for Rattle? Uh, that- yeah, I got. Um, I I think I mentioned it like one episode way back, but um, I found some you know website that was had like eighty percent off of framed print, so I figured I'd just get a framed print of the current issue. And that could be the background. I was going to get an R, and then I thought, this is so cheap. Maybe I'll get a new one every three months when new issues come out. It was only like 20 bucks. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like should, after I got that, though, I realized I could get a green screen. I could just get a green print and then and then have the internet, like, or not the internet, but the computer put it in. But maybe I'll do that next time. <laughs> it's cool, though. Like, I noticed that. I'm like, oh, that's new. Like, I mean, I haven't been in around in a while, so I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> Yeah, well, if you go back through all the episodes, my first, I, I always used to just have this little tiny painting that my grandma did. Um, it was so small. It was about the size of the R. And you couldn't tell what it was. And so, so many people asked me, like, they emailed, hey, what's that picture in the back? And you couldn't see it. So then I realized I got to put something else there. Then I had the other bigger picture. It was a picture of um, the art from my book cover. But then that felt like it's it's my own cover. I don't like that. So, th- so that's the new one. <laughs> That'll be there for now on. Um, but anyway, so... Well, What's that? I, I said it's good. Okay. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> um, so, so what do you? So, Dark Winter, which is, um, I think that I was actually thinking as soon as I saw the title, I was thinking that's a perfect title for a serious cloggy clogger knock. <laughs> is there anything you want to say well, to set yeah. it up? Yeah, it's it's definitely a grief poem. Um, we lost our dog a couple weeks oh, ago, so and, and um. Yeah, so it's it's been kind of difficult. So, and I don't mean to depress everybody, but um, <laughs> but it's definitely been a difficult mm-hmm. time for our family. So, you know, I'm just thinking about the dark winter without him, and you know, Biden says that a lot too about like the dark winter. But I I know it's you know losing our dog is small and hundreds of thousands people, but mm-hmm. it's definitely um, a, a impacted our family. Yeah, I don't think that's so. small at all. That's a really big deal. So. So thanks for sharing about it. Sorry you have to go through it with your, and your, you know, your kids too and everybody, I'm sure. Well, and I mean, I'm, you know, I wrote a poem last week about it and, um, you know, the poetry, the writing helps. Mm-hmm. It really, it actually does help with the grief. So, but yeah, so I'll read it oh, when you're yeah, ready. Yeah, go ahead. Dark winter. I walked to the room in a dream. My heart ripped off at the seams. Underneath, a wise hand, twisted, scream as it bends. Did I imagine lost being? Next to me, the space is empty, branches falling, house is silent. My eyes are wandering. Look to the sky, look to sky, plant seeds. Did I imagine lost being? His sweet soul on the bridge looks down. In the hallway, I can only frown. Smile at memory, love and cherishing. Did I imagine lost being? Oh, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, really, thank you. Yeah, really touching to hear. Thanks, and and hope uh, everybody feels better soon about that. Yeah, thank you. But have a good night. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Angela. Good night. Bye. It was Angela Gartner with Dark Winter. Um, let me do. Um, I pulled up a couple of random poems just to share. And um, this is a poem from the 2014 Rattle Young Poets Anthology. 
Um, I just clicked the random button, and there's fun stuff here. This is Natalie Bell Neal, age nine. Uh, Natalie Bell Neal, cat love. Lick, lick. My cat's tongue is like sandpaper. It's a nice sensation. It feels like a warm kiss. If my cat could talk, I'd say kissy, and he'd say okay. Then I'd ask, do you love me? And he'd answer, love is not divided. It goes on forever. I love you. Lick, lick. So I was thinking of that poem when um, uh, early in the show, Amy Miller's cat made a little cameo appearance. Um, and then it popped up as I was clicking through the random button. So that seemed like a perfect fit. And here's another one I thought I'd share. Um, this is um, by Reeves Kenworth. On loved ones telling the dying to let go. And there's another, I just clicked the random button. Um, and this is actually nominated for a Pushcart Prize. It's also from the summer, um, right on number 33. And um, this is Reef Kenworth. And I think I'm going to try to play the audio. It might be too quiet. So if it's too quiet, I will um, just read it. But let's see. I didn't check to see how loud this was first. Let me see. On loved ones telling the dying to let go. Don't bother yourselves, really. We're not clinging, as you put it, with your gentle scorn for the inept, clinging to life like a minnow too dumb to expire when a rain pool dries up. And we're not sticking around because we fear to disappoint you. We're scratching out a bit of life here, here on our planet, the bed. Yes, it's dimmed, stripped, ugly, and the pain is awful. But we're sipping air, we're blood and bone, the pulse, though thready, still twitches. You think our lack of vanity and ambition is a handicap to pleasure, but we're mostly enthralled to an inward delirium of memory, a forest stream flashing with sunlight, mother smoking and reading on the couch, an Iowa paper boy wading through snowdrifts in the winter dawn. A vivid presence that mounded snow, blue-shadowed, marred only by the boy's laboring passage, and removed from the muffled room lights here going off and on, the muffled anticipatory sadness. Meanwhile, your whispered encouragement to get going, stop hanging around inside the shell of a dead yesterday, ascend to a higher plane, etc., it's scaring us. You used to like us well enough, and now you're unlatching the door to our soul and leaving it open, like a cheerful volunteer summoning the rehabbed hawk to leave its cage. Next week you'll be having dinner and pulling closed the solid weft of curtains against the washed-out twilight of your sorrow. Solid dinner, solid you. Remember that the last sound we heard on earth was you, beloved, hissing in our ear. Time to go. Time to go. Once again, that was Reeves Kenworth with um, Reeves Keyworth, I mean, um, on Loved Ones Telling the Dying to Let Go from Rattle Number 33. Um, and, and one more time, if you'd like to call in, we have a little bit of time left. Uh, the phone number is going to be 818-850-7727. Um, and then uh, you can send a chat message to Rattle Poetry and uh, send the poem by email to openmic at rattle.com. But let's call up... Um, Brent Stauffer. Hey, Brent, are you there? Yes, it's beginning to happen. I can, <laughs> there I you can go. sense that, uh, no, wait a minute. No, you're, we're, you're good. You're good. Are you? Oh, you're, we lost you. Oh, you can, 
Oh, we had you, then you we lost you. And now we see your progressive... Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. It's... <laughs> okay, um, there you go. You're back. You're back. Okay. All right. So everybody can now, now send you fan mail, I think, Brent. <laughs> All right. <Woo. laughs> so if you want to send Brent a Christmas card or something like that, you, you know <laughs> you know what to do with it. Um, so, so what do you have for us tonight? Let me try to find... Um, Oh, I have a clogger knock. Ah, clogger knock. Clogger knock it uh, is. So how how did your I, how was your clogger knock experience? Bad. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally somebody who feels it like I felt it. Okay. <laughs> it was it was tough. And um Um I enjoyed it though. I I the 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 constraints were um uh uh, frustrating, um, but once I got this stanza finished, I was like, "Oh, okay, hey, that's uh, you know." And I started on the second stanza, but I ran out of time mm-hmm. because because I waited until today to to try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. The I, I once you get into the into it and like figure out what you're going to write about, I think that it was okay. But it took a while to like just get it. It, it sort of put me off the the mood to write actually just that because i don't know if, if i'm reading submissions this always happens i'm reading submissions and someone will send some like really like sing-songy formal poem and then it's hard to even yeah. read the next poem like i start reading it in that rhythm like from the next person's yeah. submission and i have to go like take a break and like get that get that sing-song out of my head and that, that's how i felt here like i just heard a um i heard a limerick and i could not un, i could not delimerick myself but <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's hear yours. Winter, winter clogger knock. Okay. Beyond the closed blinds and curtains, what sunlight played by the fountain or leapt in the snow? Outside, what a show. Inside, though, just a man. Excellent. Yeah, you know. And then the second stanza goes on to describe the man alone in his apartment and stuff mm-hmm. and, and so uh, maybe it'll be something after a while very good well i hope you keep keep writing and keep pushing it forward i, I was impressed with a few people who had uh, extended ones i uh yeah me too yeah that's a uh, wow especially richard <laughs> yeah i think richard knocked it out of the park with uh, two or three of those were just really good yeah yeah just really really good all on their own just you know good work totally agree totally good. well thanks for sharing that brent always a pleasure great to see you I, Thanks a oh, lot, Tim. I... Appreciate it. Good night. Okay, I think I think Brent might be the last person. Let me double check to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Um, I'll tell you again, just one last time, in case as I look, that the number is eight one eight eight five zero seven seven two seven or rattle poetry all one word. I do believe we've gotten everybody. Um, Sally or Susan Tally. Um, Patricia. Yeah. Okay. Oh, let me see. We had. Um, okay. Let me let me do some. Ah, Laurel Laurel Winter, um, gave me her um, her phone number. Um, so I can just call Laurel that way. Hopefully, um, she's still here. Okay, let me call up Laurel. Hey, Laurel, this is Tim with Rattle. Did you want to share a poem? Oh, I hear myself in the background. So, so turn off your live stream. Excellent. Thanks. Okay, let me unmute you again. Okay, so uh, so this is Laurel Winter, and where are you calling from? I'm calling from 
Ashland, Oregon. Ah, so I'm guessing that it's a friend of Amy Miller's. Yes. Excellent. How, how do you know Amy? Uh, she's uh, through a different a poetry group. Ah, ah great. Uh, it seems like a great poetry town, Ashland. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what do you have to share for us? This is... Um... So I sent a... I emailed a poem. Uh, it's not uh, the proper form. It's just a poem I like. No, that's great. Yeah, we want poems... You know, and it's an open mic, so anything goes. So um, okay. that'd be great, great so, to hear. So uh, the one I sent, it's called Emily Dixon, Dickinson, as far as we know. Never smoked a pipe. She didn't invite the neighbors over to copulate on the velvet settee. She was not a vampire or a spy or a majorette. Emily Dickinson never wasted words. Sometimes she scraped them from the bottom of her tight-laced shoe after someone had tossed them in the gutter to rot. Emily Dickinson served her heart on paper with a dash of salt, a dash of bitter, a dash of sweet. She is bone and dust, and still we eat. Oh, I love that poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was Laurel Winter. And sorry to everybody at home. It took, it took a while to get the find the poem on screen, but I got it eventually. So I'll, uh, I'll babble it and read it so people can take a look there right you go. now. <laughs> okay. But Thank uh, yeah, so thanks much. so much. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Laurel. It's always great to hear um, new callers for the first time. And I really appreciate it. I hope you call in again sometime soon. Yeah, I'll try to figure out how to use Skype better. No, it's no problem. The phone works great. So um, yeah, I'm just glad you could. Okay, thanks. Okay. Bye. Yep, bye. Yeah, that was an excellent poem. Emily Dickinson, As Far As We Know, Never. And that was published uh, first in Tales of the Unanticipated in July 2007. And that was Laurel Winter's poem. Let me add Laurel to our um, phone call list, too, so we know who it is next time. Okay. Um, and let's see. And now we also have... Uh, Vicky Miko sent one. I don't think she's here to read it. Oh, Cameron Gray, too. Let's see. Is Cameron here to call? Um, no. Let me see. Let's do... Um, let me share Vicky Miko's... This is for her rattle prompt. Oh, and again, she has a great um, visual. Let me, let me put this in a Word doc again really quick. Just bear with me one second, everybody. Oh, wait, she already did. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, so this is uh, Vicky Miko's, and, and Vicky Miko does these wonderful um, high, haiga? Yeah, haiga, which is, um, or I guess it's, it's not haiga if it's tonka. A tonka, tonka art, <laughs> tonka haiga. Uh, anyway, this is, um, this is Vicky Miko's, um, oh, wait, clogger knock. So it's, um, so it is for the prompt. And it's a clogger knock in like a Haiga type form, which is really interesting. So here we have it in the devil in, um, in this image form. And um, Vicky says, the symbolism for my devil tarot clogger knock is based on Aesop's fable, the scorpion and the frog. The devil card says our drives and desires are good, cathartic and natural, but we must be aware of our behavior, monitor temptations and never cause harm to ourself or others. And this is Devil Tarot, Cluggernock. What you do when no one's around. You tease, you sting, two-faced and loud. You're all things carnal, 
always natural, riddled, vile, and unbound. And there it is of that cool art, The Devil by Vicky Miko. Thanks so much for sharing that, Vicky. Um, and I think there was one more person who... Let's see, Vicky... Um, how much time do we have left? Yeah, we have a few minutes left. This is Cameron Gray, who um, sometimes is able to call in, but it hasn't been able to right now, I don't think. Yep, so I will, um, I'll just read this for, for Cameron. And this, there's some pictures, too, that uh, Cameron sent along with this. This is um, a photo of her, um, for, for kids, I think. Let me, let me just show. Um, oh, of her brother. So she says it's been three years since she lost her brother. And here's a photo. There's two of them. Here's one. And then the other. There he is. And um, this is uh, Cameron's poem that she would like me to read. This is December 23rd. Here we go. December 23rd. My face was leaking again today from the corners of my eyes, so I found a pan both deep and wide, wired it tight so I could breathe, rest beside. The box came full in an hour or two and a pool had started to form, so I fashioned a drain to run outside the house and I continued to leak in the warm. I connected some hose to the holes in my nose, my shirt being covered with slime. Having been here before, I ran lines out the door. I'm not going to drown this time. I curled up on my side with nothing but closed eyes, a blanket, and moving pictures of you. Twenty-three years isn't enough to do it justice. There was so much more for us to do. I remember your face as a toddler with a cup, relentlessly shoving at me. I was a few years older and could reach the counter to get you some more hot tea. That red hair and freckles under a toy cowboy hat got attention from every passerby. Wranglers in boots wherever you ventured, cause you wanted to be a real tough guy. I can still see your thumb, shriveled and pale, while the nail was deep sunken across the top. It lived in your mouth while you fiddled my ear. You were seven when you decided to stop. Time pushed you out of those cowboy jeans for years. You were an ornery little cuss. And I worked you like a science experiment to make you cry and laugh and fuss. Then one day you were grown with a mind of your own and your shoulders came up to my ears, towering over me with a sensitive nature that you learned to hide through the years. I can still see your face on your wedding day, completely painted with love. I know you meant till death do us part and you believe there was a God above. But it's a goddamn shame all convictions aren't, sh aren't, aren't the same. And your lady had to get out. I just needed more time to mend all your feelings, your fear, your mind, and your doubt. I can still see the cartful of useless Christmas gifts that I was filling when I got the call. You were in your car, and you could be asleep, but you hadn't moved at all. I arrived on the scene hysterical. I screamed, why aren't they helping him? Everyone knew what I couldn't accept. I'd lost my brother my best friend. I can still see your arm as it dangled from the car when they finally opened the door. Then you slept in that box with your skin turning gray while we leaked rivers across the floor. 
Wow, that was a powerful poem and, and a clogger knock too. Um, wow, thanks so much for sharing that, Cameron. That was wonderful and, and, and tragic too. Um, and very moving. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and once again, here's a, a photo of Cameron's brother. Um, okay, so I think that is going to be it for our show. But just amazing poems all around. Thanks, everybody, for participating, as always. Um, we did mention the Rattle Chapbook Prize, so I wanted to just throw that up on the screen. Um, we publish, if you're not a subscriber to Rattle, we publish four chapbooks um, every year. One of them is the Young Poets Anthology, but the other three are single, uh, single collections by a single author. And the deadline is January 15th, so um, find that. Go to rattle.com slash chapbooks or, or something like that, and you'll find the Rattle Chapbook Prize. Um, it's a huge prize and a lot of readers and, uh, really one of the best ways to publish if you're, if you're lucky enough to be one of the winners, I guess you could say. And, um, next week's guest on the Rattlecast, once again, is going to be, um, Sky Jackson. Um, and Sky's newest book, of course, is A Faster Grave, uh, which came out last year. She's, um, in the current issue of Rattle, she's one of the Rattle Poetry Prize finalists, um, and she also has another poem coming out um, in the spring issue that's Sky Jackson uh, Rattlecast number 73 and the prompt for Rattlecast number 73 is going to be right here I have too many windows up right now okay here it is this is a write a poem titled Astronaut avoid using the word space Spaceships, stars, moon, rocket, or planet. So once again, that's the prompt for next week. Write a poem titled Astronaut. Avoid using the words space, spaceships, stars, moon, rocket, or planet. And that will be uh, the prompt for Rattlecast number 73. This guy Jackson. Uh, next Tuesday, December 29th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Just like always, hope to see you then. Hope you have a great week and a happy holidays to everybody. Um, we will be doing Critique of the Week, of course, too, but we're moving it up because Friday is Christmas Day, and so I assume no one's going to want to uh, do a poetry critique on Christmas Day. So we're going to move up to Saturday this week, but otherwise we're still doing everything. Sunday we will have the uh, Poetry Spine Live open mic. And uh, next Tuesday, once again, Sky Jackson and her new book, A Faster Grave will be our guests. So hope to see you then. Have a great week and a great holiday. Good night.